Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When I see kids getting stuck, when I see them not able to move forward, when I see parents not able to let go or being so fearful about their child making the next step in their lives, if a child is a good problem solver, they really do pretty well in addition to other things. But it really is such a solid thing that we want to promote. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about worry and other big feelings in parenting. I'm your co-host, Robin. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. So Lynn, today we hit the third topic of this three episode series on really your core principles. And today is problem solving. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like I was thinking about this. I was like, well, flexibility and autonomy and problem solving. I mean, they're so connected to each other and really developing flexibility and supporting autonomy. The result is that we want kids to grow into young adults and old adults, I guess, that are good problem solvers, among other things. But that's just such a core thing. So what are the things I imagine when you think of problem solving and you think of a child or a teenager who has low problem solving skills? Mm -hmm. You can correct me, but I'm imagining that if that child comes from a household where they aren't given the space to flex the muscles of figuring out what to do. Mm -hmm. It's that child or teenager who, when you say, well, what would you do if blah, blah, blah? And they say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I expect someone else to step in and do it for me. I have a perception that I'm helpless. It's a little kid who, if they don't get practice, you've got a teenager who doesn't feel like they can solve that problem. So yeah, that's exactly right. It's sort of we were talking about working that autonomy muscle. It's the same thing. This is the downside of not allowing kids to problem solve is that you're exactly right, is that then their perception of themselves is that they're incompetent or they're incapable, that they can't figure things out. So when adults step in quickly and they don't give kids the opportunity to try things out or figure things out, and get themselves out of difficult situations. See, that's the the little bit of a difference between autonomy and problem solving is there is a problem to solve. So maybe they've already gotten themselves into a little bit of a tough jam, or there's something that they need to do. There's something that they need to accomplish. There's a place that they need to get. So if you've got a kid who's got a strong sense of autonomy, so they're capable of stepping out into the world and they have that sense of mastery, that's great. And now we just want to really make sure that they know how to go from point A to point B. That's problem solving. Well, the other thing is in the last week's episode, and we talk about flexibility, 
when you have rigidity and when you need something to go a certain way, and obviously life throws us lemons all the time, Mm -hmm. that problem solving is also that skill to adapt, that resilience, that ability to like pick a new direction. Mm -hmm. So I threw my mom a bit under the bus in the first episode of the series on autonomy. Yeah. She cared that I always looked a certain way and she was one of those perfectionist moms. Mm -hmm. But I want to share a personal story and I could be personal because she's she's gone. (laughs) 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 The mothers that we can talk about on podcasts are the ones that have passed. So when she was in her late 20s, she saw a counselor for the first time. And based on her upbringing, the counselor or the therapist at the time was like, how would you solve these problems? And my mom was in her late 20s, already a mother. Mm -hmm. And she said, I don't know. Mm. And this therapist was very good. She talked about these few sessions the rest of her life. Yeah. So in those moments, she said, I realized that my own mother and my father sort of always came in and save the day, solve my problems to the point where I hadn't flexed that muscle. Mm. And when I realized that, I never wanted my children to experience that ever. Mm. So this is actually the one area in parenting, she kind of did some amazing things. And I think it's an interesting meta point that we're not perfect parents and there's a big scorecard. Right. And we're going to be really good at helping our kids develop certain skills and others are going to be challenging for us. But so what my mother did was she always said, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. How would you do that? I mean, Mm. to the point where by the time I was 15, I was like, my mom doesn't know anything (laughs) because she she (laughs) pretended to be helpless in a sense. Like, so I had to always come up with something. I never had a habit of counting on her to give me an answer. And it worked. Mm -hmm. And we laughed later that she actually said to me, which is so different now in this culture, you're 12 years old. You can schedule your own doctor's appointment if you're sick. Mm -hmm. She really said that to me. And so at 12 years old, I was scheduling my doctor's appointments if I was sick. Mm -hmm. And I credit her with because she never stepped in to solve, that muscle is very, like, I have a very strong problem-solving muscle. You do. And she, yeah, you can attest to that. Like, I'm good at that. And yeah, but here's the thing. I have to be so careful that I'm not solving my kids' problems because it's like a generational cycle, right? Like, oh, yeah. I want to show my love. I have to remember, I have to make a conscious choice to show my love by not stepping in because I'm pretty capable of solving problems. Your love language, so to speak, right? Is like, I can help you. Yes. I can help you figure this out. I know that's so true. And that's so interesting in terms of that generational skip. And I was just talking to my mom about this, who's not dead. So hi, mom. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Not dead yet. No, mom, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, so that's so interesting how it skips that generation, right? And your love language, so to speak, if we were to use that terminology, is problem solving. Right. You do an amazing job. I mean, that's your profession as a travel advisor. People are always calling you or texting you or talking to you about how to solve this problem. Right. And you make it happen. So it's hard when that's our strength not to do it. Definitely. I struggle with that, actually. Yeah. So one of the things that I have done knowing it is my 
one of my weaknesses as a parent is that I have made a habit of modeling and talking about how I'm problem solving Mm -hmm. in my own situations Mm -hmm. so that I might forget and step in and do something, but I also talk about how I solve something. So that's a really important distinction you're making because modeling problem solving is so much different than stepping in and doing it for them. So you're really good at problem solving. So you're showing them how to problem solve for themselves rather than stepping in and problem solving for them. That is such an important distinction to make. You know where this is a great exercise is like helping your kids build something. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Baking is like tough because you're like, oh, we spent two hours on this thing and then like (laughs) something happens that you could have fixed and then it's like, what, what? Like the cake is terrible or the cookies aren't good. But when you build something, Mm -hmm. that's a great way to then say like, okay, you've hit a wall because the instructions aren't great on this thing you're trying to assemble, Mm -hmm. whether it's Legos or whatever. And that I always say like, when I hit a wall and I can't go over it, I try and go on either side or underneath it. Like Mm -hmm. I keep looking at it from a different angle. And I know you can do that too. Mm -hmm. And then I leave, you know, so that I'm literally not there. And I love how you in the last few episodes were talking about, it's not all or nothing. So there are ways that you gradually go to the leave that independence. Mm -hmm. And I think that when they're little, That's when it's you sit down and you try and do something together. And I think you're so right when it's always lead with those how questions. Mm -hmm. How do you think we should do this next? Yeah. How do you think we're going to get there? We used to play this game with my kids when we were going someplace that we had been a lot, not driving to New York City or something, but, you know, going to the grocery store. I would say, okay, you guys, you have to tell me how we're getting there. Tell me where to turn. I was talking to a client. A long time ago, they had two girls and they used to travel a lot. And the dad used to play this game where they would, he would give them the airline and give them the gate number and they'd get to the airport and he would say, okay, you two, you're in charge. And the together they would go look, or maybe he wouldn't even give them the gate number. Maybe he'd give them the flight right. number or something. And they had to find their way through the airport and the parents would follow them. I just thought like all these examples that you can use where you're helping your kids understand the process of problem solving. And I think that's a really important thing to remember is that it's a process. Well, that's what's so great about travel because Mm -hmm. travel removes us from our daily grind where we can stay in a more conscious place Mm -hmm. of the things that we say. Right. It's really hard when like we have like a shtick when we're all getting ready for school in the morning. But if you're getting on a plane or you're navigating in a car, When they're even like the second they know their numbers, have the youngest child lead the family to say, can you find our seats? Right. Exactly. Let them go down the aisle and let them find the row and Mm -hmm. then always give them those little jobs. Mm -hmm. I definitely navigated the family in the airport at a young age. Mm -hmm. But not only that, we didn't have ways. I navigated the family on our road trips from like age eight with a real map when I was little. Our kids are very capable now. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of tools that make things easy. Mm -hmm. But it's fun to think of all the different skills you can nurture with them. Yeah. Finding hotel rooms, finding flights, all of those things. 
let me just put a plug in if your children are young, is that there are all these opportunities for you to help your children problem solve if you get rid of the devices. It really bothers me. And I know, I know, I took a one-year-old and a three-year-old to the grocery store. I told the story about how they would eat the candy off the floor, and I would pretend that that was a problem when somebody pointed out to me, but I was so happy that they were being busy eating Skittles off the floor in the grocery store. I get that it's hard, but you have to work as a parent to make sure that you're not losing all of those opportunities to problem solve in your day-to-day life, like going grocery shopping. And you say, okay, so we've got to get these three things. Who wants to go and get the carrots? Who wants to go and get the milk? Who wants to go and get this? And being able to talk to your kids through these ordinary things, like traveling is a great experience, but even through these ordinary things of how are we going to problem solve? We need to get this and this and this, or we need to get this done, or we need to get to this place on time. Let's think, how are we going to do it? (laughs) Think, think, think. One of the really important parts of problem solving is something that we call sequencing. So sequencing is knowing how you solve a problem in the right order. And when people aren't good at sequencing, life is really chaotic. So if you are trying to redo your bathroom and the tile gets delivered two weeks before the guy is coming in to put in the sink, you know, I mean, it's the order of things. That's why building is such a great experience, right? There's, you have to build in a certain order. It's going to become a problem. So this idea of sequencing, beginning, middle, and end, is a really helpful thing to show your kids and to talk to your kids about to improve problem solving. You know what I just thought of when you were describing that is Mr. Mom with Michael Keaton mm-hmm. and Terry Garr is worth a rewatch mm. from like 82 or whenever that came out. Yeah. Because in that series of problems, the first few days, first few weeks, he's home alone with the kids and has never done this before. He approaches very creatively all of these things with kids and parenting. I mean, there's that great line when he drops them off and they're like, "Uh, you're doing it wrong. Like the nadir of every parent would be like, I don't know the carpool rules this year. (laughs) I still have that every September. Yeah. But that very comical way he's creative in solving these types of things. Mm-hmm. And it reminds moms if they have a little bit of perfectionism mm-hmm. and they want things done a really certain way, mm-hmm. how do you loosen the grip in the house to let right. everyone just figure it out on their own? Right. So there may be a certain sequence of events, but sometimes you come up with your own way of getting it done. You come up with your own sequence. You let kids figure it out. If you're getting dressed, there are certain things that have to be in a certain sequence. You have to put your underwear on before your pants, unless you're my son who was three who wore his underwear on the outside of his pants. I remember that. Yeah, but he figured it out. You know, it it took a little while, but uh, it worked. All of these things, like you can talk about training if you get a puppy, like how do you train a puppy or how do we get ready for the school day or how do we cook a meal? And it goes back to to this flexibility in problem solving. There are certain things in which there has to be a distinct order. And then there are other certain things we can problem solve, like Michael Keaton did, where he brought his own creativity or his own flexibility to it. But you've got to let your kids go through the process. 
and look for opportunities for them to find their way to do it. If you are a mom who's trying to keep your calendar organized, keep your family's appointments where they need to be, then I'll tell you, the Skylight Calendar is a product that you ought to check out. You know how it is. Running a household can be pure chaos and it can be so stressful. This is why you need to check out the Skylight Calendar. It is going to make your life easier, mom. It really is. The Skylight Calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar and organizer for all your chores, groceries, to-do lists and a great way to manage appointments to make sure they never overlap and they're never missed. It helps keep busy households on track so families can get time back for moments that really matter. The Skylight Calendar is so easy to use and to set up. It's not going to frustrate you. You're going to be able to get it going within minutes. It syncs events from other family calendars, including Google, Apple, Outlook. You can add events directly using the touchscreen or with the free Skylight mobile app. Updates to linked calendars will automatically appear on the Skylight calendar at home. So no more worrying that you guys are going to forget something. No more cluttered paper calendars. It shows all family events together in one spot. The events are color-coded so you can easily see what everyone has going on each week. When the calendar's not in use, you can turn it into a digital picture frame. It's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love the Skylight calendar, you'll receive a full refund. They offer a 120-day money-back guarantee and free returns. You can't beat it. I think the feature that I love most is the collaborative way we can all add to the grocery list. And then when I'm ready to place an online order, whether I'm at home or my office, I have that list and there's no more items that we forget. So as a special time-limited offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash flusterclucks. Mother's Day is coming right up. So order today to get 15% off your purchase at skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, 
and soy. However you hydrate, grab your liquid IV, hydration multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. I'll give you another really good example that I remember talking about and hearing about is that when we're talking about kids getting homework done. So you may have an idea of how your child should get their homework done, that they should come home from school And as soon as they get home, they have a little snack, and then it really works if they just sit down and get their homework done, and then they have the rest of the night to do what they want. That sounds good to you, and you feel like it would work out more smoothly for your family. But you've got a kid that comes home and is exhausted at the end of the school day and really needs to be outside for an hour, and it's better for that kid to do their homework after the sun sets rather than do their homework when it's still light outside. And if you live in a place like New England, we cherish those warm, sunny afternoons. I also talked to another family where the the mom was really getting upset because her daughter was setting her alarm for early in the morning and getting up in the morning and doing her homework. And the mom wasn't an early riser. And the mom really thought that the homework should be done at night before she went to bed. It wasn't working for her daughter. But her daughter did a really good job of getting up at, was like 5.30, doing two hours of homework before school, and then getting to sleep at 9.30 at night. It took a lot of coaching for that mom to let go of how to get homework done. This daughter came up with a really good idea, and it worked really well for her, but mom had a really hard time letting her daughter solve the problem. This is where it sort of overlaps with autonomy in a sense, too. Oh, yeah. Because it's one thing for a young child to learn how to get dressed by himself or herself. Mm -hmm. But you have to just let them wear the underwear on the outside of the pants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we have to just stay quiet and let them figure that out. That's why we as parents, like I always say to parents, if they would only listen to us, their lives would be so much simpler because we know how to do it right? We already know how to do it. So that's why you jump in because you're like, look, I've done this before. And if you do this and if you do that. We want so badly to step in and just make it easier for them. I mean, we can see what's going to happen, right? You're like, oh boy, I can see what's going to happen. I've worked with so many kids over the last, they're not even young adults, but so many teenagers over the last few months who are applying to jobs for the first time, who are going to college for the first time, who are getting their driver's license or taking driver's ed. I know how to do all those things. I know how to do all those things because I tried and I failed and I hit a car during my first driver's test and I didn't follow up on the job that I wanted. And, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on. It's so hard to just stand back and let them figure it out. And again, it is not all or nothing. You don't ignore, you don't go totally hands off, but you ask those how questions. Another really good question to ask Or another really good thing to say is, I wonder. Gosh, I wonder how you'll figure that out. I wonder what it will taste like if you put that much salt into the cookies. 
Mm-hmm. Or I wonder what's going to happen if you put the cookies in the oven and then decide that you're going to go on your Xbox because it's going to be really, mm, I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder how crispy those cookies will be. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how crispy those cookies will be. So you say, I wonder, and that sparks problem solving in their brain rather than you just giving the instruction. Hey, before you go off, you have to set that timer because I know that you'll lose track of time. So you want to just spark their thinking about it. You know, this is what my husband always said, think one step ahead. That's what he said to my boys all the time. I think I've brought that up before because we wanted them to problem solve. It is really, really hard to let them do it. I know because it's still hard now for me to let them do it. Still hard. I still want to say, hey, you know, I think you should, um, mm-hmm. it would be, it would work better if you, mm, yeah, I want to do it all the time. And sometimes I do because it's hard not to. Yeah, because that advice is consistent if they're 40. Oh, yeah. It's just what we want to do. And, you know, the other thing, too, we're talking about kids, but also to think about this in terms of your partner, right? Your spouse, who are the other adults that you live with? It's so easy that if you have a partner who wants to do something and you're good at it, so easy for you to step in and say, well, you should do it this way or you should do it that way. That whole Michael Keaton reference, I was thinking about it. That's also what our co-parenting episode was about because Mm -hmm. many moms often feel like their partners aren't carrying the same weight, but they often have to ask themselves, are they demanding that their partner follow all of their sequences? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When in fact, if you allow your partner to create their own sequences and get to the result in a different way, you'll find a more engaged co-parent. And the other thing too, is that it just helps you when you let somebody else problem solve, or when you let somebody else think about how they're going to do something and what sequence or what's important, it also shows you that you might have different priorities than that other person has. You might have a different priority than your child has. One of the things that really just befuddles me over and over and over again is how caught up parents get with their children's hair. It just becomes such a big issue. It just is so interesting to me. Like, that's really the hill you're going to die on? And I'm not talking about a kid dyeing their hair blue or whatever. Even with boys saying like, I can't believe you haven't combed your hair. I promise you, I have never said to my children, I can't believe you haven't combed your hair. It just wasn't even on my radar when we're stepping in as co-parents and we're not allowing the problem solving to happen or imposing our sequence of things onto our partner or onto our children, it is okay for people to have different priorities. That sounds a little bit more like an autonomy thing than a problem solving thing, even though I know all of these things sort of overlap. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think when we talk about it in terms of problem solving, one of the problems that you're solving is what needs your attention now, right? So a huge part of problem solving, and if we talk about sequencing, is really prioritizing. When you help kids recognize what do we need to prioritize now? What's the most important thing that we do first? What do we need to handle now and what can we let go of? What's really important and essential and what's not so important and essential? All of that is problem solving too. Being able to say, so Whether or not you brush your teeth is much more of an issue than whether or not you comb your hair. 
right? My personal opinion, because sure, your hair doesn't get cavities. Say you have a child that's really lousy at brushing their teeth, right? Just as an example. And asking that how question, how are we going to figure out a way for you to brush your teeth? Let's talk about that. Let's problem solve. Just like, how are we going to figure out a way for you to get your homework done? How are we going to figure out a way for you to get up in the morning? Because that is a pretty amazing thing to me when a college kid doesn't know how to get themselves up in the morning for class because the parent hasn't allowed the child to come up with a way to make that happen, hasn't allowed them to problem solve independently. Yeah, we actually did an episode on that called Let Your Kids Fail, But Don't Let Your Kids Drown. Right. And being tolerant of the mistakes that they will make and the prolonged effort it will take for them to get something done. Like let them, if it means that they sleep in and get tardies, let them sleep in and get tardies so that they know they need to set their alarm. Yeah. And I think it's sort of problem solving. I think that it's almost like we have to come up with a different term. When I think problem solving, we're going to step in, we're going to solve the problem. It's problem step-by-step coming to a good solution. Isn't it accountability? Yeah, a lot of it has to do with accountability. That really means that you are creating a child that sort of picks their head up and looks around and sees what they need to take care of for a variety of reasons. When I talk about tracking and talking about Life360 and all that kind of stuff, one of the reasons I didn't do that with my kids is because I didn't want to absolve them of the responsibility of communicating with me. Having Life360 on your kid's phone, you might see that as a really good problem-solving strategy because then there's no problems. Everybody's where they need to be. You pick them up at the right time. But it doesn't allow them to develop that accountability or figure out how do I communicate with people if we're late, if there's traffic, if my friend's mom says she can pick me up at the bus stop. How do we make sure that when we're solving a problem, we're not jumping in and short-circuiting or cutting off that pathway to get there? Because it's a multi-step process. And oftentimes when parents are trying to problem solve, they're trying to get rid of all those uncomfortable or messy or inefficient steps along the way. So if you have little kids, Mm -hmm. the takeaway is very much to fold in, I wonder and Mm -hmm. how and... Walk your children through situations with questions, but don't step in and do something. Mm -hmm. Right. But let's say your kids are older and you might not have given them the room to develop these skills about certain things. And you're like, you know what? It's time. Because this actually just happened as we were recording these episodes. (laughs) I noted that there was one thing that I kind of have, I've kind of owned because my daughter wants me to just do it. And I then it's been normalized that I do something. Mm -hmm. And then as we were recording this weekend, I was like, you know what? Because she's a teenager now. And I just said, I'm sorry, I'm not doing it. Like I'm not. And you're going to have to live with that consequence. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden now, she approached me the next day and said, I need to learn how to do this. Mm -hmm. And what's frustrating as a parent is that I've actually attempted to teach her in the past like, this is how you do it. She wasn't really listening. She didn't really, she didn't really care. Yeah. Yeah. Now she cares because she didn't have it done for her. Mm -hmm. And now she's asking different questions. 
I had to wake up and realize I was stepping in too much. Yeah. For whatever reason, now she has some skin in the game. Yeah. One of the things, and I've, I've referenced this book before, and it's a really helpful book for parents that are dealing with teenagers, the Mike Rira book, and several people have talked about this, is that you're going from management to consultant when you're helping your teenagers problem solve. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't mean that you don't offer them advice or you don't give them your ideas. We also have to accept that as a teenager, they could very much reject those ideas. I was just going through this with a, a client of mine who, as I said, is applying for his first job. And he didn't know what the steps were. He had never done it before. And sometimes I'm in the position where I will offer him the same advice that his parents do. He rejected his parents' advice 87 times, but then I say it and he's like, oh, that's a great idea. So sometimes it depends on, on who's saying it. And you can say it out loud. You can say to your teenager. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh gosh, I really have not let my kid problem solved and they're already in 10th grade. Oh no, oh no. Just say it. Just say, you know what? I really have realized that I step in and I problem solve for you really quickly. And I think I may have given you the message that you can't do things or I've given you the message that I'm better at doing things. So let's make a shift with that. Let's think about some of the things that are going to be important for you to learn by the time you are a fledgling. It's that assignment that I give to families all the time, right? I want you to take a little inventory of your household and find three things that you're doing for your kids that they can do for themselves and either back off and let them do it their own way or help them figure out the sequence of getting it done. But it's problem solving, problem solving, problem solving. And remember, problem solving, the first word in that is problem. Oftentimes there is a problem and you have to be able to step back and not get so emotionally invested in it, not overreact and not get catastrophic. If there's a problem, how do you solve the problem? It's not just how do we make things go smoothly. It's also how do we figure this out when something does happen? That's really, really important too, right? Because we can talk about problem solving of how do you bake cookies, but we can also talk problem solving of what do you do when you are failing a class or what do you do when you have missed a shift at work or what do you do if you were supposed to do this and you didn't do it and now there's a consequence. So remember that there's often a problem that needs to be solved and you as a parent, this is even harder because now there's an issue. You have to just let it be there and that's really hard. When your kid forgets something, when they don't bring their cleats to the baseball game, when the math assignment is sitting on the kitchen table, when they didn't bring their lunch to school, now there's a problem to be solved. It's sort of like traveling. You have two roles as a travel advisor, Robin. One is that you put together these amazing vacations for people from scratch and you say, this is the sequence of things. You're going to do this and this and this and this. And then the other role you have is that when something happens, how do you step in and help them solve the problem? Because the flight's been canceled, the food is terrible, whatever. Right. Well, the, di- <laughs> the difference is with my clients, they, I, can't, I can't step back and say, how do you think you should solve this problem? <laughs> right, right, right. That's the same in my job too, because I often say, parents will come to me and I'll say, what is it that you need from me? And they'll say, just tell me what to do. Right. And in that situation, I'm not going to say, well, what do you think you should do? Right. Cause that's just annoying. But I do want to talk to them about how are we going to get to this problem solving place? 
feel like you're the martyr in your family, you're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. We want to let kids feel messy stuff right? They're going to feel messy stuff. It's not like we're going to put them in situations, but it's sort of like what we were talking about last time, where you're letting a child try out for a team and maybe they don't know whether or not they're going to make the team and maybe they haven't prepared enough to make the team. And so you're watching, you're like, ah, this isn't going to end well. So you give them the autonomy to be in charge of how they're going to prepare for the tryout. And then maybe afterwards, when they don't make the team, that's when you start the problem solving. If they didn't listen to you before and you say, how are you going to do this in a different way next time? All those questions of expectations and reactions and planning and thinking, it's all about problem solving. We've talked about this before, but you and I, I'm sure we've never, we've never flown together. I don't think. I know. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that is weird. We've never flown together. You're on a plane. Mm-hmm. And let's say you're flying with your children and the captain says, I'm very sorry, but we have been rerouted. We're circling and we're going to have a delay in the air for about 45 minutes or mm-hmm. whatever. Or this happens on the jetway. We're going to have to go back to the gate because and, the, and and we're going to be delayed. There's always a fraction of people on the airplane who like bang their seat and get so upset. Yeah. So if your kids are sitting next to you, what do you want to model for them? Right. Right. And so it's great that when disruption happens, how are you modeling your response Mm -hmm. to your kids? Right. Oh, well, that's a kicker. Okay. What do you think we should do now? Mm -hmm. Right. Because problem solving usually starts with a problem. 
And that's okay because life is full of all sorts of problems, as we know. I mean, we got it. We just got a big, huge dose of of problem solving, and it's that flexibility. It's that adaptability. It's the ability to step back from a situation, to not immediately emotionally react, giving your kids the confidence that they are going to have to many, many times in life, figure out what to do when things don't go the way as planned. I'm sure all of you listening can think about all of these situations. You know, I got pickpocketed when I was in graduate school in Boston. Right. So I, I lost my wallet. I had to figure out how to get everything replaced. You get a flat tire. You get lost. You wanted to sign up for this class and it was full and you needed it to graduate. I mean, there's just so, so many situations that come up over and over and over and over again. That is a muscle you want to let your kids work. I can tell the difference. I can tell the difference between Kids who have been allowed to problem solve, who've been given that space, who've been given that room, kids that don't know how to do that, just don't have the confidence, just haven't been given the space. It's not that they can't do it. They just haven't been able to work that muscle. So, so important. What's the telltale sign? The telltale sign is they usually have a pretty strong emotional reaction. It's sort of like what you were saying with your mom, you know, what would you do? How would you do this? One of the telltale signs when I have a family in my office is when I start asking those how questions, the parents have a really hard time being quiet. They jump in, they correct. When the child starts getting distressed because they don't know how to solve a problem or they're not sure what to do, the parents get distressed, they jump in. So the telltale sign oftentimes has a lot to do with emotional management, If I see a kid that's had experience doing it, I can see them sort of taking a breath, kind of pausing, thinking about it. You know, they might sort of say like, all right, all right, let me think about this. Let me think about this. If I've got a kid that doesn't have that experience, they give up very quickly. They give up very quickly. You have kids that you've met in your practice who may or may not be good problem solvers. Mm -hmm. And if they aren't good problem solvers because a parent sort of stepped in. We know that that is stepping in to control an outcome from the parent's anxiety. Mm -hmm. But this is all not a binary ranking. Mm -hmm. Like as you're listening to these three episodes on these three skills, I was describing my own mom being good at one, not so good at another. Mm -hmm. What kind of advice are you trying to give parents as they sort of assess their own strengths and weaknesses What's the goal and what's the range that we mostly fall into? The range that we mostly fall into is that we are going to step in and try and help when we see our kids struggling and when they're in distress, and that's okay. It's not that we're supposed to, you know, this is not about hands-off parenting. It's not about, you know, somebody was describing their parents as benign neglect. It's really about combining the development of these skills with an environment of love and support and openness and connection. So I think sometimes people think, all right, I'm too hands off. And this is where couples get into arguments about this. You know, parents, one person thinks that they're too coddling and the other one thinks that they're too, you know, ignoring too much or letting too much. It's that big sweet spot that I talk about of developing these skills in an environment, in love and connection. And so your child doesn't feel like they're totally on their own. 
They feel like they're on their own enough so that they can work these muscles, but that if they need you and they come to you and they ask you for help, that you are going to provide it. It's sort of like that, that those leashes that we have that you see with people with dogs, right? So the leash, it allows the, the, the dog to go far away and then we can pull them back in when we need to. But it's a give and a take. It's not about, like you say, it's not this binary thing. It's not right or wrong. It's not that you're overprotective or you're going to let your kid do everything. You're constantly making adjustments. It's about small adjustments all the time. And it's really about being open about it. And it's about giving yourself permission as a parent to make mistakes, to talk to your kids about it. It's your flexibility to be able to say, you know what? I think that I was too controlling about that. Or, you know what, I told you how to do this thing and I should have recognized that you were doing it better on your own than you were with me. Consistently allowing yourself to reassess and to talk to your your kids about it, right? Like, oh, you were right about that. So this summer, we did one of these shorter episodes on this parenting sweet spot. And what Mm -hmm. I've taken away from you, because I feel like this is what the podcast has taught me and our listeners, you know, this year, particularly with the 2021 episodes, is that if you create a culture in your family where you normalize talking about emotions or Mm -hmm. talking about mistakes, Mm -hmm. and just like these casual ways, Mm -hmm. this is why it's called the sweet spot, because we do make mistakes. Yep. And if we can just own them and say, I've made this mistake about doing this, and I don't think I want to do this again, or I Mm want to do better at this. And so I'm telling you, I'm trying to do better at this, and we will move on together. Mm -hmm. You know, we might score well on flexibility, but not so well on autonomy or whatever it is. Yep. I think one of the most important things that keeps relationships healthy and keeps them connected is when we own our own stuff. And I wanted to say own our own shit, but my mom gets mad when I swear. So I'm just going to say own our own stuff. Sorry, mom. So being able to own it, being able to say like, oh, I get so controlling about that. Oh, while you're applying to college, I get so nervous about what's going to happen to you. I tend to worry about whether or not you're going to be okay because it's so hard for me during this process and I step in too much and I'm sorry. Right? Just say that. Just own it. It's so, so helpful. Right. You can't really do that until you start focusing on your own emotional management, right? Which is the other thing that you talk about. Yeah. It's one thing to talk about your worry about your child going off to school. It's another to not really understand it and then operate from that place Mm -hmm. of worry where you start Mm -hmm. swooping in or controlling or shutting things down. Yeah. This is all woven. It's all together. Yeah. I mean, I've talked about this before. The hardest families that I have to deal with are the ones where the, particularly the parents don't acknowledge their role in things. And it's then, it's not about blame. It's about responsibility, but it's also just about being human. And so as you're developing flexibility in your kids, look at your own rigidity or your own flexibility. If you're trying to create autonomy in your kids, Look and see, like, do you step in and do you interfere or were you raised in an environment in which you weren't allowed to express your opinions? If we're talking about problem solving, look and see what your skills are as a problem solver and how do you want to teach your kids to be good at what you're good at without doing it for them? Own your own stuff. That's the most challenging thing because it's easier to be a manager than it is to be a consultant. 
It's easier for a lot of people to be in charge, particularly if you're capable, particularly if you know what your strengths are. It's harder to own where your emotional management gets in the way or your rigidity or your obsessiveness or your fill in the blank, your anger, justifying, well, the only way my kids listen to me is if I scream at the top of my lungs, you know, that's just the way it is. No, no, you're a screamer. You're a screamer. So that's so, so important. And that's the hardest thing to do. It's the hardest thing to do in a, in a marriage. It's probably the hardest thing to do if you're in any relationship, whether it be professional or whatever. Own your own stuff. Recognize your strengths and your weaknesses and be open about them. It's just a wonderful gift to give to your kids. So join the Facebook group so that you can ask Lynn your question on an upcoming episode. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.